Hello and welcome. I can't, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even need to look at you to know Do you're Do I have something face. in my teeth? Yes. Hello and welcome to Wave Talks. Today we're going to be talking to Halima, an EDI consultant, which stands for Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. So Halima, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Super thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Super excited to be here to talk about um, the intersections between race and like the fitness and wellness industry. Um, all right, EDI, an EDI consultant. What do I do? <laughs> um, the bulk of my job is to work with organizations and a lot of what I do is called organizational assessments. So say an organization wants to assess its practices and structures um, to see how inclusive they are or how diverse or how they're addressing racial justice, um, which has become an important topic for a lot of people in the last couple of years. Um, so I do a lot of that and then I, I go in and I do a lot of, I do assessments in a form of like, I talk to their employees, I talk to their staff or volunteers, and then I find out um, what their experiences are working within the organization. And then we kind of, we kind of assess where they are at um, in their EDI journey. And then we kind of build recommendations off that. And that's, that's the bulk of what I do. And then on the side, I also do quite a bit of anti-racism uh, education. So I give workshops um, primarily and recently has been um, these workshops or presentations have been focused on anti-Asian racism because I present as Asian. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, that in a nutshell is what I do. Cool. What drew you into that field? Like, how how does one become an EDI consultant? First, you become really frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, previous to that, I was I was in communications, um, so like media relations, a little bit of marketing, and then I decided um, that I wanted to torture myself and do more schooling and so because <laughs> why not yeah why not right <laughs> and because like model minority so like oh i gotta achieve more things um put more pressure on myself but and so i decided to do um a master's degree in uh, something i was interested in so race was something i was interested in because I am of Asian descent um, and I also wanted to really articulate my experiences I couldn't put words you know when you go in an environment and you're being like treated you know something's not right you're being treated differently but you don't have the words to articulate it you don't have the language so I thought oh yeah I'll go I'll go register for this um, program called um, equity studies in education and and then I thought okay um, 
I, do, I didn't had, had no idea what I was gonna do coming out of that. Um, I just did that. I just did it out of interest. And then when I came out, when I graduated, it was like pandemic. Like who is hiring? No one's hiring. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, but fell into a couple of gigs, like a few subcontracting gigs, like with the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, mm. and then yeah, um. They have this uh, subgroup called Eliminate Hate, and then the um, the pandemic brought up a lot of anti-Asian sentiments, and then that's how I got into the line of work. So, and then I, yeah, I made some contacts, and it just it just fell into place. It felt right. I don't know if that was an answer of how you become one, but that was how I became one. I mean, like, it felt right. I think that's. Yeah, I that's mean, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. Totally. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. It's just a great reason. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine that, you know, when you tell people what your job is, do you do you get some sort of resistance from people, or people start to, um, you know, question what you do more, or they don't know how to react? What's that like? Or like, do people? Sorry, I just yeah. like. My question to add to that is like, do people take it seriously? Like, do you ever encounter that kind of resistance where people are like, oh really, that knitted? <laughs> totally. Totally. I feel like I, I'm i very lucky in the sense that I live um, on the West Coast and mm. I feel like I surround myself with um, people who are generally open to discussing race-based issues in an open-minded way mm. and so i i haven't i'm lucky and fortunate that i haven't had um any encounters or any like challenging encounters to what i do oh, awesome. yeah i'm i'm lucky did anything come up because uh, you said like <laughs> what got you into this <laughs> you said frustration did anything like that come up when you were in school, like doing race studies? As in like um, putting language to experiences? Or um, maybe in terms of like meeting resistance, like I'm not sure what the classes were that you took and exactly the content you were getting, but um, I've read from other people who have gone through some experiences that even in a class learning about racial inequalities, there's some, uh, De denying of what has gone on and what's really gone on and I imagine that's where some frustration comes from um the frustration I think came prior to my education like prior to me deciding okay this is a program I want to go in mm -hmm. um within the program itself I again it was a like a group of like-minded people thinking oh this is needed right now mm -hmm. so it was quite um, it, it felt like we were working together rather than you know having mm. against each other but yeah. there was some like there's some stuff that still came up like we were all learning and I am still learning I don't know everything about racism I don't know everything about anti-Asian racism and people's lived experiences are so diverse um, and then you have intersectionality, as in um, not race, but you gotta think about class. You gotta think about p 
people with um, living with disabilities you gotta think about gender so but there were so where was I going but any <laughs> anyhow within the class there people who are learning at different stages bringing in their different lived experiences so there were a little bit of like tension around you know maybe someone wanting to center the experience like someone who's like yeah but I am from this marginalized group and it's not as bad as or mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. or and then there's always that you know reverting back to centering whiteness as in so there are dynamics where um you know whose voice is who is used to speaking out loud and expressing their feelings or thoughts in in a group setting and who like who have who has been conditioned to kind of sit down and listen more or not express your thoughts like i i come from a culture that like if you're a student you sit quietly and you don't you don't talk you listen a lot to what the instructor is saying Mm -hmm. but then it's a it's a different um ball game for people who come from from an environment where where it's safe for them to speak out and safe for them to express what they think Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think yeah. like, I mean, my educational experience and family experience was like, yes, speak up, say what you want, challenge mm-hmm. things. Like, yeah. I, I, it would be weird of me not to do those things, I yeah. guess. But I guess that kind of tells you too that the environment you grew up in plays a big role in terms of how you present yourself to the world, whether that be, um, you know, different because of race or class or whatever as well. Definitely, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, which comes to like all the factors that also mm-hmm. play into creating the environment that that um, you live in. As in, I'm thinking about um, still like in a workplace environment, who's given, like who who, what kind of um, tropes have we been um, exposed to? So like you know the the heteronormative uh, presenting uh, white cis male person who's typically the leader or who has authority who has power and then um, and then you have um, you know uh, perhaps people like who don't look like that or people who are you know been told by society through you know through many ways like the media representations or through even like um policies like um that that have been that have prevented their families from settling in canada mm-hmm. or policies that are like uh targeted towards disappearing uh nations um that 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 have uh conveyed messages that uh bodies that look like me or like my my presence is, is have necessarily not been welcome in all spaces so mm-hmm. You said the frustration you think actually came before your education. Um, Do you want to elaborate on that? What made you feel really frustrated? What were you seeing that pissed you off? Ooh. (laughs) I felt like, um, I think in the series of my career trajectory, uh, so this was like after university and then trying to make it or trying to make it in a, um, 
trying to launch my career as so you say I don't know whatever happens after university these days but like Mm -hmm. you're trying to get a job trying to be stable trying to earn money trying to establish your you know your home trying to be comfortable um um like I had two or three jobs um that were that made me question the way I was treated there was one job in particular where I was I was in a team of I think five uh, women and and um, I felt like it was quite blatant that the my team leader or the person that we reported to the director was very invested in advancing the career of only the white people within the team and I, I at that time look at that time I didn't realize it but looking back I was like wow like there were she was like the, okay they were <laughs> so they were they were quite um they were like meeting they were mentoring this these uh the white uh folks in the in the team mm-hmm. it was like blatant like she would go to lengths like she mm-hmm. would like make sure that these um oh i wish i didn't say gender so they would go through great lengths to make sure that the white people within the team were positioned like you know had opportunities to present their skills or to showcase their skills mm-hmm. where else like the rest of us were just behind the scenes and just like you know doing work we didn't have mm. those opportunities and i'm like whoa that was really happening when i was working that's real and then you have like microaggressions with people like like i remember one one um at one um work party or work event i think the the person i reported to was i had a few drinks in them and and then they just came around to me trying to make small talk and then they said so is your boyfriend korean too and i'm like uh, i'm not even korean i'm not sure oh okay <laughs> i did not know how to respond to that. i'm no like kidding. okay she's drunk or they're drunk but that must have felt hard to like rationalize their behavior when it seemed like you called it a microaggression. Um, do you want to elaborate on what a microaggression is? Uh, yep. So like perceive like there um, insults that maybe that that appear as um, backhanded compliments or maybe like statements. They're they're not uh, explicitly harmful or they do not appear explicitly harmful so they're, they're kind of like for example would be, one example would be like oh you speak really good english like oh where are you from where are you really from or um things like that so they're 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 um statements that are their utterances that are blanketed uh they're kind of blanketed so they're they come across as like compliments like oh your english is good i'm trying to tell your english is good but behind those statements are oh you actually don't belong here or you must come from somewhere else it's impossible that you were raised here because there's an expectation that you wouldn't speak yeah like oh wow like i'm so confused that you're speaking such good english Mm -hmm. treating you as the other almost Mm -hmm. yeah and that's 
that's always what it is is it's othering yeah right but is that like when i look at d and i go wow you've got such nice hair because <laughs> i'm jealous <laughs> like secretly on the inside like i'm you just really want that? her hair i don't want her no that <laughs> we, should nope. we just should we have a day where we shave d's head and you just like place it over top of your head no i think we're getting way off topic here <laughs> But no, Cam, no. No? No. That's not a microaggression? No. That's just sad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a white man sad. <laughs> Is that a microaggression? <laughs> What's happening right now? Resentment. Resentment. Uh, Resentment. Okay, I'll take it. So then in that line of work and microaggressions, uh, you said you worked in communications before. Did you see a lot of that type of stuff in your communications career and in marketing? When you were working in that? I felt like I saw it everywhere, mm. not necessarily communications. I saw it. I saw... I've been in places where... Where I see a lot of, like... I see a lot of non-BIPOC folks who are advancing, who are given these opportunities. And then I see the BIPOC folks who are just, like, you know, head down, doing their work, but, like, they're not given the same opportunities and it's quite blatant there was um a few places that i worked at that that was quite quite blatant um well, i uh, imagine that's like that takes a toll in a way where because you even mentioned like that you didn't really realize until you were looking back after like it it almost must feel like you're just oh well i'm not good enough or am, am i not doing enough i have to try harder but here they're blatantly excluding you from something where you have every right to be there and it's like they're gaslighting you and you start gaslighting yourself. Yeah. And it's like, how could you feel confident in a workplace after an experience like that? That's yeah. awful. Yeah, it's, um, so I would say that's internalized racism almost because I keep thinking that, oh, well, I'm being treated like this. So I must be like this. I must be not as skillful as my work, my white coworkers or I must not be as... Um, you know, I must not have that go-getter personality or I don't know what kind of personality you want um, succeeding in your organization, but I felt like deficient in some way. So I internalized that mm -hmm. and it, it affects me till today. Like my self-confidence is something that I continually have to work on because I, I keep, I keep, yeah, I keep gaslighting myself. I keep yeah. saying I'm not good enough. I keep, um, yeah. Well, it's a form of trauma, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and trauma is sort of like looking over the, the bar to try to see you. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a microphone stand in the way. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like that's that's a form of trauma that you're you're um, mm -hmm. you know having to sort out, which is totally valid, totally relevant, and that's crazy to think that that's just. I mean, like even. I have to imagine, even if you're aware of those structures, if you're still seeing that, that's still a form of trauma. Because you're like, like when you're aware of it, it's just like, well, that's just how it is. Well, you can't unsee it. Well, yeah. And you can't, like, as one person, you feel disempowered to do anything about it, too. Right. So, but yeah, trauma. It's a lot of trauma mm -hmm. yeah. that we sit with. So, hmm. And it's hard to hear that you have like confidence issues because I know that well one you're an amazing athlete 
I've seen you do a ton. You've of set crazy. a record. You set a BC record. <laughs> so it's crazy to think that you have, you know, self confidence issues when you're so accomplished, not just, you know, in in your job, but also in fitness. So what do you how does how do you extrapolate everything that you're learning as an EDI person and put that into the other part of your life which is fitness like how do those how do those things intersect since we're talking about intersectionality today too (laughs) why am I looking at you I don't know you're behind me I figured I should give you some FaceTime hey Kim (laughs) how you doing um how do they intersect? I can tell you how it overlaps or how my mm-hmm. trauma is carried over to mm-hmm. to the other part of my life which which I enjoy but also which scares me. Mm. Um, so I the confidence issue it's such a big thing. If if you like I just I know you work with my partner. If you talk to my partner, he'll be like, Yeah, she's she's amazing i don't know i cheer i cheer for everything that she does but like she doesn't never wants to own it so Mm. i even see i talk about myself and i still have to distance your third person yeah yeah Yeah. um i one of the reasons why i don't race as often as i should is because i'm so afraid of failure and i don't have confidence to race so that's something that my coach would tell you like and before every race i have i place so much pressure on myself um because i feel like like i oh it's terrible um i usually i puke i go to the washroom before i race i cry (laughs) i hate it so much but then after i do it i'm i'm like oh best feeling in the world but like yeah i i rarely race because i don't i don't have the confidence and it kills me mm. it kills me because i feel like in deep inside i feel like i have a i have a lot to give mm. but i just i oh this just a wall that i can't quite um scale um yeah and and that's actually one of the reasons why i did the steeple chase <laughs> Um, was because I I've been struggling running the 400 meters for as long as I've been running um, with this uh, gray with the uh, Greyhounds Masters uh, Track and Field Club, which is an amazing club that I belong to, uh, full of uh, diverse diverse age and diverse racially diverse like um, athletes. Um, that are 35 years and older and um i've been struggling with the 400 meters and so i'm like this year i can't i just can't stomach it i don't have the confidence to run this really challenging race so i'm just gonna try the 2000 meter steeplechase which is absurd because it's longer longer <laughs> with five jumps but i'm Why like not? <laughs> but i'm like well there's no one there there's no pressure there's like there's no record like i just yeah but but there is a record and you hold it (laughs) for now yeah until you beat it but still for now (laughs) for now yeah yeah. so do you think that some of your previous experiences in the workplace and um that you've had in terms of feeling that you're suppressed almost that that is inhibiting you as an athlete and in other parts of your life yeah 
Definitely.、Mm. I also think back to、um, if you talk to my trainer, who I know you know, <laughs> I think he would tell you that, oh, she just. She, she just likes the confidence. Every time I go into a training session and I want to beat myself for it, he's like, You've got a lot to give. And I'm like, Oh, no, no, I have nothing to give. I've got nothing, <laughs> nothing. And it, it's, it's that talk, which I know I, I'm, it's just talk, but I know it's, in, it's coming from my internalized、um, lack of confidence. It's,、mm-hmm. my, it's me kind of gaslighting myself.、Mm-hmm. It's. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like an important thing. I mean, yeah, she's privileged. She's got a trainer. She can go to a fitness facility, but I, it eats up at you.、Um, it's in every aspect of life. It's like I'm always thinking I'm not good enough for、yeah. anything. Yeah, and like you have something more to prove、mm. with, you know, being racially diverse.、Mm-hmm. And when I think. It's shitty. <laughs> When I think back to my childhood, yeah, I didn't always feel like there w a s role models for me, but there w a s still female role models that looked like me, that felt similar to me, that actually increased my confidence, right? Because whenever with the same trainer, because I got trained by the same person, whenever I thought I can't do this, I'm like, wait, I know I've seen other women do this. And even though I'm not thinking that they're the same as me, I feel more connected to them because. I feel more similar.、Mm. So I can only imagine not having that experience、um, in a fitness setting or in another setting, doesn't matter. But feeling that you don't have、uh, like a, a leader or that you don't see yourself represented. Ooh, I feel the transition here. <laughs> <laughs> I love the transition. Are we talking about representation in the fitness industry now?、Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, should I? Go for it. I like whip out my phone and go to my TikTok, like、yeah. FYP. And,、mm-hmm. like, and yeah, I look at fitness stuff. And then, like, <laughs> all I see is all these incredibly beautiful white women.、Mm-hmm. Like, where are your jiggly bits at? Like, where, <laughs> where are our food babies? Where are these people <laughs> living with disabilities? Where. Where are all the brown bodies? Where, where are. I, I do not know anybody that has,、um, that's indigenous who trains other people. I, I don't know.、Um, at least I've come encountered a couple of black trainers. I, I've never encountered a trainer with a disability、um, that's,、uh, that's a visible. I, where are all these people? Can't just be all, can't just be、mm-hmm. like, can't just be all the people who are just in my FYP, on my FYP. Like, it just can't, yeah, it can't be these white, beautiful people where, when the world is so diverse, where are we all at?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, like, ugh, the representation, like, It eats away at me as well. It, it's not only the representation, but like I feel. And、uh, full disclosure, like I want to look like those people too. I want like my jiggly bits gone. I want my. I want, I want to look good in shorts. <laughs> I want a summer body. I want all that. Full disclosure. But like it also.、Um, like I feel like. 
with these kinds of representation that comes is is accompanied by a quite a harmful trope like like i almost feel like a lot of the popular videos or the ones that appear on my uh fun for my page fyp i don't know um are you know it's it's like videos like if you want a peachy booty these are the exercises mm-hmm. you have to do if you want to get rid of your jiggly like like chicken fat arms or whatever i don't know like these are the exercises you have to do want to make your waist smaller build your upper back and i'm like is this what it's come to yes (laughs) answer is yes (laughs) like fitness has given me so much more like Mm -hmm. why can't we popularize these tropes instead of like i just want to build my big booty now we're talking about the sexualization of the fitness industry oh yeah right which is at the forefront because most people when they think of fitness they think of this i want a body that i look good naked in right and that's based off of like a colonization look of what the body should look like 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 only a certain type of body is meant to be fit and And sexualized. sexualized yeah absolutely bang on yeah but i think that's also an echo chamber with social media too right like you're dealing with everything that you're talking about and then it's being like distilled down to its most poignant evil via like tiktok's algorithm or instagram's algorithm Mm. or facebook's algorithm Mm. algorithms um i didn't even think of the algorithm being a like a factor in that but it totally would be but i mean like if if you are like if it if it figures out that you have that like propensity to look at fitness stuff it's gonna throw like what is the most popular fitness stuff as you're saying it and as Dee was just saying it is that particular aesthetic it is that particular um look or expectation and i mean even from like a wider perspective and i certainly don't mean to um like step back from what you're saying but in in my experience um you know the harm that that's done to uh people that i work with like when when people come in and they're so crippled when i'm trying to say like there's so much room for improvement there's so much room for you know like like for you to like there's like there's steps that you can take to self-empower yourself to to like change how you feel and inside your body and whatnot and they're saying no i just want to look like this this right here that's all i want i want to look like this make me look like this also can you do it in two weeks i'm getting married um that's usually what comes up (laughs) after that but but you know it's it's you're putting so much more like spin on this um like issue by by going into those deeper things and that's fascinating Mm -hmm. um not in a good way (laughs) Like, frankly, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm like but, partially mortified by just realizing that the algorithm is perpetuating that entire but, thing. And but, I didn't realize that. Which is now. But that is super crazy. It is crazy. Right. Because I mean, like, like we've already discussed, like you're dealing with this trauma. And then now all of a sudden, like AI is getting involved in like, like, per, like pushing that narrative more. Like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, like D, like so bang on like the colonized uh body co- yeah the colonization of um body image like white slim like i know people who are 
I'm gonna say like who are who live in larger bodies who are like strong AF like yeah. like and like so powerful and so agile mm-hmm. um, that you know they don't get recognized and but then they don't get recognized as fit bodies as well or bodies that are able to do these amazing things mm-hmm. like yeah there's an assumption that is made around the fitness industry where there's only one look if you're fit and if you don't fit that mm-hmm. look you're not fit you're not healthy yeah you're lazy yeah. you're not yes. trying hard enough and there's so many reasons mm-hmm. why bodies don't all look like that and right. so many mm-hmm. valid fantastic reasons or very difficult reasons that bodies don't all look like that mm-hmm. yeah. but then on the flip side of that you go for something like the like uh, advertising campaigns where they use like all bodies are, are you know like good bodies and things like that like I think of maybe like Dove or mm-hmm. um, there was a, an underwear company a men's underwear company that just did like models that were not all like fit and buff and everything like that in different um, colors and uh, sizes and everything and to me it's like I get it but it always also kind of feels like virtue signaling because it Mm -hmm. is like when you see that stuff, the underpinning of that message because it's is, not a normal ad there where look at us display well, these there's that vir- but yeah there's that virtue signaling angle of mm-hmm. it for sure but it's also coming from a place where they're like buy my underwear buy my soap like it's it's not well, and, like and it's let's look like we're doing the right thing right but which is the virtue signaling aspect that, of it yeah yeah like when that ad looks like that what does their structural breakdown of their company look like which is oh yeah i didn't think of that you come in right like oh my that's gosh yeah what totally you're looking at mm, mm-hmm. yeah like you might have posters of diverse people like a very popular women's lingerie brand has recently rebranded a particular fashion show that they do around the holidays Mm. where they have, um, they're now getting diverse bodies, um, all different kinds, but they also have a major lawsuit against one of their factories where they have not paid their workers and owe them like millions of dollars. Right. So like, really? Yeah. Are you doing something anyway? So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, sorry, it was like something in my Oh. <laughs> Something it water flask, your water <laughs> air. Um, I just want to respond to what Dee just said about yes. Oh, and you, uh, Cameron, <laughs> virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. Yes, like you have these, um, you have this amazing diversity on your marketing campaigns, but yes, how diverse is your staff makeup your employee makeup not only that is is your work environment um the way you treat your employees is it safe are you making it inclusive is it safe is it welcoming to bipoc like a diverse Mm -hmm. diverse folks are you are you doing all of that um and yes are you paying your workers like (laughs) equitably Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's <laughs> so pretty important. Yeah. So yes. So how do you feel about a lot of those? Do you have an opinion on the ads that like that that come out? So uh, the soap brand that Cam mentioned earlier would be oh. an example. So I just get sued, not all of us. Perfect. <laughs> I'm trying to correct your mistake by oh, naming boy. brands. Um, 
how do you feel about that? Do you think that it's great to have the representation, which is really nice because it doesn't happen, but do you feel that it's, that it's actually being conducive to help? I feel like most of the times, most of the time I want to see receipts. I don't want to see what's on your marketing campaign. I mean, it's great. Sure, I'm glad. Um, now people can see themselves represented. Mm-hmm. So now they go buy your products. But I wanted to see, I'm concerned about receipts. I want to see how well you treat your um, employees who are mm-hmm. non-white, who live with disabilities, mm-hmm. who don't... Uh, yeah, like who's actually profiting off of these campaigns yes mm-hmm. yes yes yeah like, you mentioned that in the pre-interview who's profiting from these businesses you mentioned at one point yeah mm-hmm. who's who what i know it's, okay so i'm gonna go into contentious territory here mm-hmm. so <laughs> is there a trigger warning or anything for example which reminds me yeah trigger warning for this podcast is we're talking a lot about racism which also um touches on trauma personal trauma and then we talk about um a lot of uh forms of oppression and inequity so i i feel like we should have um (laughs) started with that but um i'm putting it out there then you can edit it how you want exactly (laughs) (laughs) um but uh sorry what was I gonna say? Uh, talking about who's profiting from like diversity yes. marketing campaigns. So, said, like, where are the receipts going? Yeah. So, like, I'm just gonna use the yoga industry as um, as an example. I I recognize and acknowledge that there are that a lot of people enjoy yoga, and it's their right to enjoy yoga. And it's I am so glad that you have found something that benefits, um, that brings you happiness, joy, brings you wellness. But I also do feel like um, industries like the yoga industry being one of them is quite problematic because you have, um, you have the appropriation of a practice that comes from the global south or eastern countries um, and then it's being brought over to uh, societies in the global north. So global north being, you know, um, countries like Canada and the United States and even New Zealand or Australia. Um, and then they are, they're, they're being, a, they're kind of being appropriated because I feel like, uh, I have notes, sorry. So I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna mm-hmm. talk a little bit from my notes. Um, sorry, give me a second. That's yeah, fine. no so, worries, you're good. So you're you're taking you're sort of bringing this practice over, and then you're um, it's almost like taking intellectual property from the East, and then you're turning it around to teach it and sell it at a profit, while nothing is going back to the country of origin mm-hmm. um, and then it also the way that uh, I think uh, some of the w- ways that it's being turned around or the ways that it's being taught or I don't want to say modernized but taught um, in in our society the society that I, I have settled in 
um, I think uh, might lead to the erasure of indigenous knowledge as well um, from from you know stemming back um, to the countries of origin of this practice and yeah it's interesting and this might not be the same thing so I've been doing my Pilates certification and Pilates is named after Joseph Pilates who created Pilates anyone who gets certified has to learn Joseph Pilates foundation mm. of Pilates everyone knows Joseph Pilates instructors reference him through the whole practice like it's all about the white guy who started Pilates so is like uh, and I'm, I'm not a person who does yoga I just want to say um, it's even goes further than that because Joseph Pilates developed his Pilates when he was working in a hospital as a POW because he was German like let's put this together in a British hospital during a world war oh wow dot 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 never like nobody ever talks about that everybody's like well he was working in a hospital he developed these things hmm. he was working in a British hospital as a POW during world war Two. So, like that part is excised because nobody wants to talk about that aspect but, of it. But and we, I'm not. But I'm not. Put his name I'm not. Everything. And I'm not saying that he had anything to do with the Nazi Party of Germany. I'm not saying anything about that. As far as I know, he was happy to be in Britain, from what I've been told. But again, it's interesting that that part's always left out, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is a form of 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 editing that that makes it look better again. But but I think more so like. So does all that history of yoga and where yoga originated from, is that always present in yoga teachings? No. Mm -mm. Right? So we have this white guy that we honor in all our Pilates things, but are we doing the same? And as someone who like does not go to yoga, I, I don't know, but you've spoken about your experience. I also admittedly have only gone to maybe two or three classes of yoga in my entire life. But no, all the three classes I feel like have not acknowledged the roots of yoga or, yeah. I mean, like, I ran a Pilates and yoga studio. <laughs> like, it's one of my previous things. And I can 100% guarantee that there was possibly, there was one teacher who did, she was this battle axe that had lived a whole life and she was just an amazing human being. Uh, and I hope she's still around. I only speak in past tense because of the fact that that was when I encountered her was in the past. Uh, and I haven't seen her since. So, um, but she did laughing yoga. And she like, she was like, she like rolled into the studio and she was like, I can offer this thing. And I was like, that's fascinating. I have no idea. Let's do it. <laughs> and then, but like, she was the only one that actually would like, she'd have everybody sit in a circle. And she'd start by telling everybody about the, like the roots of yoga and like mm. where it came from and what it was all about and why like because laughing yoga isn't like like suffice it to say many people were confused yoga well many people were confused because all you did was sit in a circle and force yourself to laugh that sounds horrifying but also like freeing at the same time it's it's it, well no it's 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 a whole different thing but like isn't it weird that like the only time that like 
we had a yoga class that wasn't like physical, like hatha um, work, like like actual moves. You're literally sitting in a circle, like, and you would make like a laughing face. And I'm not going to do it because this is on camera. Um, <laughs> but like, you'd make a laughing face, and then everybody would just like laugh like force themselves to laugh and i was like my office was on the other side of a wall it was terrifying <laughs> it was terrifying but she would always start by acknowledging like this is where yoga comes from this is what it's all about the history of it is but she had she had studied in india like she had been there she had been a part of it um she was kind of like at the tail end of the um like hippie revolution where the beatles got into eastern culture mm -hmm. and like the ravi shankar era and it motivated her to go there and join an ashram and like uh be a part of it so like she really had that like kind of like touch point of like being there and respected the culture and that was of of the five years that I was there, that's the only memory I have of anybody ever acknowledging that. So it's it's a really like interesting point to make. Uh, and myself, I actually got uh, I've um, got a half a certification as well, and it was never covered. It was very, very much about just like the physical aspects of yoga. Um, and you'd get like the Sanskrit name of the move and that's about as connected as it would be. And then you get the, like you get like whatever the English translation was, right? Like you, you'd get like Shavasana or corpse pose. And then you'd always refer to it as Shavasana or corpse pose because that's how you were taught. Hmm. So yeah, wow, okay, brain broken, moving on. <laughs> That's not even, that's one part of it. Like yeah. the not acknowledging that this um, knowledge comes from the wow. East. It's also the, the question that I have is uh, you're, you're fine with export, importing or bringing over this wonderful practice from the East, but like it just doesn't, um, there's a inconsistency or incongruence between that um, enthusiasm around bringing that practice over and mm. then the way that people mm. from the East are also treated. Which you see a lot right. across different cultures where it's like, love your culture, love your practices, but not when you're here. Right. And you see that a lot in, um, as an example, black culture in the United States. Right. Um, so is that kind of what you're extrapolating with the with uh, the yoga industry, for example? That's a good parallel. Mm. Like, like love your food, but not your you. Yeah. Like oh, I love. <laughs> I love. Yes, I love Serena Williams. Kind of. I love I love hip hop music. I love the like talk. Uh, responding to like mm -hmm. in the u.s where mm -hmm. black culture like um black performances mm. as entertainment uh, yes for uh for the masses but then on the streets like black bodies are not being treated with respect in the same way mm -hmm. like i think one of the yeah like well in, in sport especially like if we're gonna have that conversation like in sports black bodies are seen as amazing they're amazing yes. at sports but then in sm like microaggressions small little instances where you know people are afraid to pass somebody on the street that doesn't make any sense well even within the league 
Even within the league. Right? Like, NFL right now is dealing with a lawsuit. Um, There's a a black coach who said that essentially the NFL is not providing opportunities for him that they are providing for, uh, like, white coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not doing enough to include, like, uh, like, so, example, in soccer, it's very, very common for former players to become coaches and to become prolific coaches. Um, and there's it, like more and more and more kind of like um, representation in coaching in soccer uh, that you're seeing. And it's not happening in football. And in fact, it's still quite the opposite. So this coach has actually like filed a lawsuit uh, alleging racism against the NFL in coaching, which again, like, like you're saying, it's like, like, <laughs> I, certainly I don't want to say this, but it's like they're kind of suggesting that that's the role of black people is to be the athlete, but not the coach. Mm-hmm. We've, we've yeah. chatted about like even this trope is in like the media, like movies where the, the mm-hmm. coach is always the one who's white, who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, which is like a hero. Right in the pre-interview, yeah. we were talking about. I was yeah. saying yeah. white savior. Yeah. Every single sports movie, not every single, but almost every single sports movie I've ever watched, it's some um, you know, in a bad neighborhood with some white savior who comes in, and you know, and these are stories that we're telling about f- sports and fitness a lot of the time. Mm. Is that sports saves at troubled youth, but by a white person. And you see that frequently. I can yeah. think of a number of films off the top of my head, including Oscar winners and stuff like that, too. Well, I mean, The Blind Side comes to mind. That was one of my top five I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then was it uh, Remember the Titans? Denzel Washington was the coach? Mm-hmm. And there's Coach Carter, which then, was different. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. But again, it's, they're both uh, at troubled youth. It's always troubled youth in typically black communities. And so we're always saying that you have to have a certain type of body to be successful in sport, but you can't go beyond that, which is super interesting. Or, or you can't fit anywhere in this society mm-hmm. outside yes. of the sport that you excel at. Mm-hmm. You exist only for our entertainment and for you to trade oh, from wow. like groups. Or if... And, yeah. and, and I'm, so, I'm so happy to see athletes of color athlete indigenous athletes even like athletes with different bodies with living with disabilities Mm. whatnot female athletes but then also like we we mentioned in the pre-interview as well like their bodies are so heavily policed like serena williams Mm -hmm. or you only exist as an athlete this is your job you're not supposed to do any kind of protesting any political statements um, referring to Colin Kaepernick here, mm. take a knee, your career's over. Like, Which is insane. So, mm-hmm. so this is you can't be fully human in your own profession. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You only exist to do a certain thing, which is to entertain us. Do you see, like, mm-hmm. but <sighs> yeah, even like, but even beyond that, like, like it's it's <sighs> sports and celebrity is such. Um, like a microcosm in terms of like the number of people that are actually involved because they're I mean that's what makes celebrity is 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 the rarity of of that 
uh, circumstance, except for TikTok celebrities. Um, and like everything is, is like so on display and so performative in terms of like, you know, like celebrity. And like when you talk about body policing of these people, I think the, like the very insidious um, part of that that kind of loops back to something we've talked about earlier is uh, something that you were particularly talking about is when somebody sees somebody like Serena Williams or, um, you know, name another athlete here who then is like you're you're then seeing these headlines where it is it is critical of uh, like food decisions or like body shape or what have you like that becomes that policing. Mm. Then, like, if, if you've identified with them, like, do you start to internalize those policing notes onto yourself? Like, oh, shit. Well, because it feels like subliminal messaging, right? Right. Like, it's, this is like, I mean, John Carpenter was right when he made They Live. Like, everything in that movie is spot on. Um, like, it's, it's a whole thing. Rowdy Ruddy Piper, I'm just saying. Um, different that's a it's that's a whole different come on to netflix i believe is it oh it's it's a totally different conversation to have but i mean at the same time like it's it's all about this like this subtle influence of um you know like this oppression oppressive society that's like that's like pushing these messages onto people and i just i can't help but like make that association to like what you're talking about again with like um you know if if a child looks up to serena williams and like sees somebody that looks like them that uh you know they can like uh, um you know, like uh, kind of create that um, uh, connection with. And then all of a sudden they're seeing all these negative things about mm-hmm. like Serena Williams, mm-hmm. uh, like who she chooses to be in a relationship with or like has she put on weight or like, you know, is she secretly a man? Like all these stupid, too short. all these stupid oh. fucking things that or, like they kept like, like that just, while ago just when they didn't want her to make noise. Yeah. Right. She wasn't allowed to make noise when she hit the, the ball. Whereas Rafael, Nad- Rafael, Rafael, Nadal, Nadal, yeah, yeah, is like like sounds like he's having a mini orgasm every time he hits the ball, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, that's just his signature sound, right? Like, I mean, like he. But if a black so woman like, does it, it's not okay, it's apparently. Not but, and it's like but putting like, somebody else up on a pedestal. But right? what? But like what that all comes down to is like, what about that kid? What about that kid that's, that, 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 that that's feels watching like this. that's watching all that happen? Then all of a sudden they're internalizing that. Like, oh, like, I guess I'm not supposed to do that either. Like, because they and don't that's have... that's kind of what you're talking about with yeah. the confidence. Right. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. I'm getting it. I'm learning. <laughs> I love this. This is great. Thank you so much. Please don't say as a white man that you're getting it. <laughs> it's oh, dangerous. <laughs> just, just go like, okay, yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know what to do right now. Like, you don't understand how uncomfortable this is. Um, okay. Oh, oh, I have a comeback to that. Like, but it's good. I have, it's actually, good. like, it's good that we're uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. this whole process, it should be uncomfortable. No, it, it's something that we have to talk about. Well, it's it's like it is something that only in m- my experience, like, I got to shut the fuck up and just like listen. Listen. listen yeah. Um, that's that's the point right and i'm like i'm grateful for this and this part is getting cut out trust me um (laughs) trust me uh that's me pointing at me while i'm editing this to remind yourself oh yeah but i want to like so i don't want to take the conversation in a different direction but i'm fascinated about um the fact that you do this work and one of the things that i wanted to ask you was like what kind of companies hire you 
Mm. What kind of companies um, like employ an EDI consultant? And I want to follow that up with what kind of companies would you like to work with that aren't getting you? So answer the first one first and then the second one second. Because <laughs> I see the second one kind of got your attention. But I want I want to know like who hires you, like who who is hiring you and then who do you want to work with? I or am, who should you work with? Without naming names, obviously. I, well, industries. Like, yeah. Wow. I am primarily right now, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this for about, let's say almost two years so mm. I'm still relatively new so I don't have I don't have the luxury of picking who what kind of companies I want to work with I just say yes to everybody right now or most people um, primarily right now it has been um, non-profits a lot of non-profits a lot of uh, public agencies mm. a lot of even some youth um, youth groups like student societies or some uh, youth-led groups. Um, so, yeah, without giving names, those are who I work with. And I also, um, I work primarily with one equity, full-service equity and diversity firm. Mm. So it's which which projects are being doled out to me or offered to me, and I just... I just say yes. So I'm quite, I'm still early on in my career. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the luxury to say no or I just say yes to a lot of things yeah. right now. If it, it's not, oh. I yeah. was just going to say it's interesting that it sounds like mostly nonprofit versus public or private. Well, I was going to say like maybe some more forward thinking type businesses like you say some student-led ones who are thinking about this stuff and and realizing that there's been an issue and a lack of representation for a long time so yeah yeah so you're right those people who are realizing that there needs to be um change the way that they do things or um who are interested in making things better for hmm. people that they interact with or who they hire or work with um, and who are who are brave enough I want to say brave enough to come and acknowledge that hey we're not there we want to get there because it is um, I feel like a lot of this work depends on or a lot of a lot of this rests on how, I hate this word, vulnerable you want to be in acknowledging that um, hey, we haven't maybe been so good in the past and we want to be better, mm. but we don't know much. Um, so a lot of that rests um, on the willingness to acknowledge that. So yes, there's a certain kind of... Um, there's a certain... Yeah, certain industry or certain fields or certain organizations tend are inclined to think that way as opposed to we are informidable. We are a mean cash making machine and hmm. we grow year after year. I'm like, sorry, I just can't. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so that's who I, I tend to work with these. So that's why when you ask, like, have I, you know, uh, encountered a lot of pushback uh, in my line of work? Um, no, because I've been lucky enough to work with folks who are who are there to 
listen and learn and mm. and improve so that's mm. i've been really lucky yeah, yeah that's well and it sounds like people who are like seeking you out and especially i guess with nonprofits, they are serving lots of diverse or vulnerable communities so they want to make sure they know how to mm. how to help um and make sure they're you know boosting their employees within yeah uh so then what kind of companies would you want to work with? Which, <laughs> which industries do you feel really need your help as an EDI consultant? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> because I do like, I was really excited. Um, I was excited and also not excited. Not excited because I felt like I had a lot of work to do. And I'm like, oh, this is another thing on my plate. But I was really excited when you asked. Mm. Uh, Jessica and Dee and Cam um, if I would uh, come and chat with you about this mm-hmm. because I do I love I love sports and fitness I love that industry and I wish um, there would be more of an opportunity to work with uh, to align my expertise with my passion so it would be nice mm. to to um yeah, it'll be nice to align these two together. It'll be nice to work with a lot of, um, with more um, sportsy stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> sportsy. Athleting. Athleting, yeah. Athleting. Athleting. Well, and it's needed. Like, mm-hmm. it's clearly needed. You know, it's, you, you've expressed, you, you know, deal with, I guess, the oppression that, not mm. just the fitness industry, but that you face, like that comes up in your athletic endeavors already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know what else. Yes, that's that's <laughs> so. Then I have a question about let's say we took a typical fitness business, okay, and you were coming in uh, to help them do some consulting and kind of examine their practices, policies, hiring arrangements, whatever what do you think would be a common theme that you would see in this general fitness business? Mm. Um, I, f- I think the first like low hanging fruit for me would be how diverse is your, like how diverse is your team? Mm-hmm. Like, so <laughs> it is important. Diversity is important. Um, it's not achievable i know for some but it's important because oh if i'm a woman of color i come into the gym and i see like a leader like you know a face who looks a body or someone that represents me i'm like okay instantly comfortable i know the space is not just for white uh, or able-bodied or um yeah for 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 just a certain demographic of the Mm -hmm. Um, population Um, and then if you do have representation then I would also I would probably want to um, I would probably want to chat with um, the non the 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 BIPOC folks or uh, folks who from uh, who are marginalized in other ways i don't want to talk about their lived experiences and ask how safe the working environment is for you like what would you like to see more of like have you is there like yeah talk about what their lived experiences are and it never 
see like I feel like when I go into um, places to do organizational assessments I feel like they're like oh you're coming here to find out how bad I am but it's not that <laughs> it's more like I'm also coming here to find out where your strengths are how can we build on that or what you're missing or what your blind spots are I'm, I'm here to help you oh I hate I don't for the lack of better phrasing like to become better I'm helping you to like yeah I'm helping to build on your strengths as well because not every place that I go into some some people have already good practices that they just need to be fleshed out or they need to communicate better Mm -hmm. we are doing this in our workplace I'm sorry you didn't know before but there's a safeguard here in case this happens to you we have this procedure and policy we want to know that you're being taken care of like Mm. so it's not always like oh you're not doing this you're not doing that but it's also not communicating this it's great that you have this but you have to tell people sorry that's jeff probably (laughs) but yeah um that that's that's how i also work Mm -hmm. um and then there's also aspects like is your space like accessible to people who use mobility aids Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i belong i have gone i belong to quite a few gyms and i can only i can say that only one or two are accessible to people who utilize mobility aids which is (sighs) kind of sad because i think everybody has the right to um fitness i think Mm -hmm. everyone has the right to move and take advantage of amenities mm-hmm. so yeah and it's interesting because like if you look at uh public spaces when they're designed they're always uh highly inclusive of mobility and, and what have you but then you look at private spaces and um know. you know there's a set of stairs that like d can hardly climb let alone um <laughs> you know like but i mean like there's no like there's no elevator there's no Jeff, escalator Jeff. there's no um she fell up the stairs once and injured herself <laughs> it's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> Never live that down again. Um, it's on a podcast now, uh, but I'm just saying, like, like it, it is interesting to see that, like, that that difference of like, there's there's definitely a, a different standard in, especially like private business and stuff like that, and that actually is interesting to me because, um, you know, like, kind of opening this back up to a wider stance, um, and including uh, ableism as well uh like what are like if if a company works with you um what kind of you know you've talked about like kind of what you can do but like what are the tangible outcomes of working with an edi consultant tangible outcomes yeah like so like so we've worked with you you've provided the report um you know and then when you're like when you kind of walk away from it like you've provided this report um you know like i just my i guess my concern is like what like what would you hope that the company does with that report like instead of just being like we did this thing yeah exactly because otherwise it becomes like virtue signaling again right so like so what kind of tangible like outcomes are, are you wanting to see from a company that you work with um what kind of changes um 
I feel like if I like the company, I hope that they come to me and say, "Hey, can we have a little bit more help and in, in like <laughs> implementing this recommendations?" Yeah. <laughs> and then I hope that they. Well, obviously, I hope that they implement some recommendations. Um, let me think about that question. What do I hope they do? Yeah, I basically hope they actually implement like my suggestions and recommendations. Mm-hmm. I mean, why you you pay me a lot of money to say a lot of things? Um, <laughs> not a lot of money. Well, yeah, you've 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 done this like. Now I I'd like you to take ownership and yeah. also mm. take ownership of that and like do like I'm not expecting you to change overnight. I'm expecting you to maybe sit down and think about what can we do in the short term that's reachable, that's within mm. the scope of resources and um, energy levels, and then think hard about. Really implementing stuff like, I think, I mentioned that uh, during our pre-interview, it was it doesn't have to be usually it doesn't have to be big changing like big changes that you make like sometimes it's just small changes to your policies like sometimes it's small changes to um, you know small changes that can make clients maybe feel more welcome like asking like. You know, asking about like types of music, like mm-hmm. like playing Perfect. the types of music in the gym, making sure that you know it's not, um, yeah, it doesn't have any slur words or any. Um, mm. I don't know how to. <laughs> yeah, like know. slang that's inappropriate. Yeah, slang that's inappropriate. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. It's just small changes like this, like mm. maybe just like establishing a checklist that you can do with your clients, mm. or establishing. Well, like, asking yeah. asking pronouns, asking preferred name, asking, like, do you have a do you feel uncomfortable in certain types of situations? Do you want to share that with us? And actually taking those into account, I would imagine, is a huge part of that. Absolutely, mm. yeah. And um, like also recognizing where your gaps are maybe feeling like seeking knowledge to just learn more about what you need to uh, be better like Mm. so i i I hope there is some sort of movement like it's not just a checklist Mm -hmm. um and yeah to take ownership of like really let's do this Mm -hmm. um yeah and that it doesn't have to be this big scary thing because i understand like you and we've talked about this that it's a lot of people think oh yeah okay well she's coming in to assess Mm -hmm. and she's coming out with all these recommendations we're gonna have to hire new people we're gonna have to do this we're gonna have to change all the policy no Mm -hmm. no you do what you can it's like fitness you don't go in and you like deadlift like 300 pounds when you haven't been active for like years you mm-hmm. you build up to it you, yeah it's a muscle that needs to be exercised as yes. well uh-huh. love it <laughs> there it yeah. is in the fitness analogy <laughs> yeah. yeah so that makes sense it doesn't have to be huge changes no yeah um so then as you know people who frequent a gym or people who are just out and about in the regular world what are small things or big things that um a person can do 
to help this kind of move along in a direction of more diversity, equity? Like, are you asking from the perspective of... From your perspective of your profession, what do you think people can kind of do on a day-to-day basis that might actually help this process move forward in businesses? So let's say somebody's going to a gym um, and they're finding that, you know, they could probably use an EDI consultant. We'll put your info at the end, just saying. (laughs) Um, But they could probably use an EDI consultant. But as a client, I don't know how to relay that to the business or I don't know how to feel like I'm helping other people feel included in that gym space oh dear um (laughs) that's a lot of burden to put on one person (laughs) like the burden of actually bringing up hey you have a gap here like Mm. you well I would like to see you address this it's Mm -hmm. quite scary for some people Mm -hmm. or I don't I don't I, I frankly don't know how to answer that question. Like, how would they tell somebody? Mm-hmm. Like, how would they tell a gym that they frequented that, hey, you're missing this? Um, well, they'd probably just go somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I've, I've just quit and gone somewhere else. <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. you're right. I've been in that situation where I'm like, the space really needs uh, a bit more... Um, like it just needs a little bit more (laughs) people need the owners of this gym or the people who are running this gym need to assess the way they're doing things um to be more inclusive and i just like ah forget it it's too big of an emotion it's too big of a burden on me i'm just leaving so that Mm -hmm. that's what happens most of the time so you lose i like you lose patrons you lose community too, mm. right? Like, and I think that's a big part of it. It's not just about losing patrons; is that you lose an aspect of community, and you kind of watch your business go in a direction where y- you are a niche, and that's that's fine. Everyone has their niche, but you also want to feel diverse within that niche. I like to think, yeah, inclusive mm-hmm. within that niche. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then. Um, on a regular basis too this was the other part of my question as a you know as a person who's just walking through life what are small tips that you can have for somebody that can help them have practices that actually feel inclusive to others feel Mm. can i ask it a a different way sure please um i feel like i'm not phrasing it properly like how does how does one examine like their own practices Mm. uh so that they can recognize if they are in fact uh, perpetrating certain like things like microaggressions and like uh, or excluding or excluding or mm-hmm. like ableism or any of those types of things like is is there like is there like a BuzzFeed checklist I can like check out online or like her face she's like mm, I don't think so no not I th- feel like you're asking me to do your homework for you but no not at all <laughs> nope nope Things that you could do um, to examine your practices and whatnot. Like, I mean, because it, it, you're, some you're right. some good self-questions, really. It's, it, it is about, like, educating, like, the self and then recognizing and changing. But, like, but like a lot of people never have that, like, self-realization. They never get to that point of, they like, They don't know the first clarity. step of self-education. Right. But so isn't it, like, learning from... Maybe that's a bad question. People of color and people with disabilities and getting their lived experiences. And those are the things that make you 
realize your blind spots and mm-hmm. and issues like yes okay. but also l- asking your like questioning stuff like mm-hmm. going around and question how come i only see white people in this space or how come i only see able-bodied people in this space and then not like not blatantly asking yourself but like not i mean not blatantly going um <laughs> please don't go to like people with color or from other marginalized communities like how come i don't see you at like at these spaces <laughs> like <laughs> question yourself ask and do a bit of research use the google machine um <laughs> the size and the, there are i mean there are um people with jobs like you who yes. i mean you do this for businesses but you are a person that is here to like help these people do the work and um, like guide them along and make sure they're doing it in an inclusive way. And there are also like influencers, people of color who are doing this, that are doing the work and you pay them for the work and this is how you can learn. So it's not like, you can't just look inside yourself and say, why am I racist? Yeah, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Because you only have your perspective and your lived experience, so. Yeah, and and not taking like the world that you function in for granted. Like this was not the way it has always been. Yeah. Like there has been a lot of influences. There's a lot of um, like processes that have uh, gotten us here. Like there's a lot of um, we are not in this space because this is just how the world is no there's a lot of other factors that have created this world like i mean we are um on uh right now on the unceded territory of the hakaminam first speaking peoples which Mm -hmm. is uh, which includes the kakai first nations um and if you look around here this probably used to be where the kakai village was and they probably had their own um, economies, their food systems, their cultures way before um, before European settlers came and like and now we are <laughs> and and that has all been the space it, it that it ha- the way that we are right now it has never been has not always been the way that things are yeah. so yeah a lot of questioning yourself and a lot of not questioning yourself like sorry a lot of questioning how things have been become this way a lot of like why like small questions like why why do gyms how come gyms open up um in places where there's likely going to be a starbucks like how come in the downtown east side there's like a like no amenities whatsoever how come in like how come like amenities are much more of a better quality or higher quality in wealthier neighborhoods how come why do these things happen how come um what else can i say how come reservations don't have clean drinking water yeah (laughs) that's a big question yeah yeah so a lot of questions that i think uh yeah, a lot of questions that you could ask and also find mm-hmm. the answers to. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a lot of people that you could, uh, yeah, a lot of 
I like a lot of answers can probably be found on the internet if you look properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. So that's But isn't that the game, right? Like looking properly. That's mm-hmm. kind of the issue because I mean well, I <laughs> it's paying people, hiring well, the people. Well, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but I mean but I mean I'm just uh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say that's a really good point because I think a lot of the time when people talk about self-education, they're expecting free education, right? But nothing is free, but this might go back into the whole entertainment thing um, where we're expected to get that for free, Mm. right? Instead of paying for a service to actually learn properly. But yeah, not even that. Like there are a lot of really good resources online. Mm -hmm. Yes, that I think you can't rely on someone's emotional labor to explain to you why things are like that for free Mm -hmm. because it is taxing it is um to speak about um like don't don't take this person like i'm i'm so happy to come here and talk to you Mm -hmm. because i am a fan of Mm -hmm. all of you and what you've been doing with jeff but like (laughs) don't accept (laughs) with or to (laughs) to jeff (laughs) um and uh it's like you don't i do this for work like if my (laughs) if like my white friends kind of want to come to me and like ask me Mm -hmm. to like explain in depth like what uh talk about my lived experience as a BIPOC person I would be like oh, maybe yeah I'm not I'm not working right now well because that's that's putting you on display mm-hmm. yeah a little bit yeah. but but also like I'm not like there are resources that are written by like like uh, folks from like who are non-white folks like mm-hmm. on, say on racism like there are resources that are written by really good uh, black academic scholars who write in a very accessible language or that are out there that that you could easily access access so mm-hmm. yeah so the next thing it, i would also talk about would be like you say that's a lot of things out there like well make sure your sources are written by like people of color like mm-hmm. and it's interesting you say that because i recently bought a book um on white feminism and i saw that the forward was written by a person of color i'm like great so I assumed that the book was written by a person of color. And then when I went back and actually looked at it, it wasn't. And then I felt disappointed because I'm like, well, this is not the perspective that I was hoping to get. So looking up your who's actually written what you're reading is really important mm. to feel that you're actually getting a good representation of information. Even yeah. the movies you're watching. Like, Even the movies you're watching. Like yeah. Who's the director? Who's the writer? Who's the producer? Who's mm-hmm. controlling what people say you know is it just that they're choosing an actor and they're mm-hmm. tokenizing them or is it actually real lived perspectives that you're getting to see in mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. yeah and not to say that white folks can't also write about white feminism mm-hmm. or white folks can't okay i'm just talking about race now um that they can't have pers- perspective or express their uh scholarly or what informed critiques on mm-hmm. on race um, you also want to look at the work that they've done, um, like which communities have they worked with, mm-hmm. like what their credentials are, like uh, who their colleagues are, what kind of institutions they come from, like mm-hmm. yeah, things like that. So you like are they like from the Fraser 
think tank does this mm-hmm. Fraser Institute like do they work for them like do have any affiliations it's a right wing like think tank conservative like, think yeah. tank yeah so you kind of want to pick and choose your sources carefully as well mm-hmm. but yeah white folks are welcome to also write things and write perspectives on this mm-hmm. informed perspectives we're going to conclude there <laughs> thank you so much for coming i feel like i've learned so much from this today yeah, and i can't you. wait to think more on what we've talked about today and see how we can incorporate some of those practices into our own business and thank you if there's uh any information that you want to share with our listeners like if anybody's interested in an edi consultant um we will have halima's information for you and thank you so much for your time today Ooh, thank you thank you for having me i had so much fun Thank you so much.